0: Welcome to the Master Your Mix Podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. My name is Mike and Davina, and thank you so much for being here. This is has been a crazy week for me. So, if you listened to the last podcast, you would have known that I just recently got married. Uh, so, this episode I'm recording two days after I got married, and it was an amazing time. It was so much fun. But uh, it's one of those things where everyone always says that when you're getting married, the day just flies right by, and in a blink of an eye, it's over. And you don't want to admit that when it when it's ha- when you're in when it's your wedding, you're like, that's not going to happen to me. I'm going to totally embrace this. Man, if you've ever had a wedding, you will totally understand. It just goes by so fast. But uh, it was such a great day. We had an amazing time. And, uh lot of great speeches. My brother and sister and my best man totally roasted me in the speeches and it was awesome. But yeah, now that that madness is done, I can kind of relax and unwind a little bit. And actually at the end of this week, I am going on a cruise with my wife and we're doing our honeymoon and we're going to go to the Caribbean and I am so looking forward to it. It's going to be great to get some sun, get away from all the hustle and bustle around here and uh, just relax and, and unwind a little bit. But before we go on that, I really wanted to make sure that I got this episode done for you because my guest today is amazing. We'll get into that in a second. But first, I want to give a very quick listener shout out to someone who left an amazing review on the Apple podcast app. His username is Kevin627 and he says, the title is The Only Podcast Ever, which I'm not sure if that's an Alexis on Fire reference because they always said The Only Band Ever. But his review is five stars and it says, I've never written a review for a podcast before, but I felt like I had to. This podcast is great. I love hearing about how producers, mixers, engineers got to where they are. The guests have all been involved in bands that I grew up with, such as Alexis on fire, Silverstein dashboard, under Oath, Sum some 41 trouble charger, etc. So maybe it wasn't Alexis on fire reference. He also says, I'm also improving as a producer. So I appreciate the practical tips that are solicited. And I can't imagine a podcast more perfectly tailored. Keep it coming. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much for that review. That is awesome. I'm glad that you're finding it really helpful. And, uh, I love that you said you grew up with a lot of those bands because I actually grew up with a lot of those bands as well. Um, my in my local neighborhood, we had like I, I used to play shows with Alexis on Fire back in the day and Silverstein and Sum 41 and Trouble Charger as well. So maybe you're a local guy around here. If if you are, reach out. I'd love to catch up and get a drink. But yeah, thank you so much for that. And guys, I would love it if you could leave. review just like kevin did on the apple podcast it it helps us to get exposed to more people and lets people know that this is a podcast worth listening to so once again kevin thank you so much but now let's get into today's episode so today's episode is with an amazing engineer his name is gabe galucci and gabe has worked with guys like sean mendez francesco yates victoria duffield david ortero and a whole bunch more And I actually just met him recently. I was at a music conference in Toronto, and he was on one of the panels just talking about maximizing your rig and creating efficiencies in the studio. And I've got to say that I've never been to a panel where my head has bobbed so frequently. Like, everything he said, I was just like, yes, 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 I agree. That is me. I feel this way. Like, the whole time, I was just totally wrapped up in it. And uh, I couldn't agree more with everything he had to say. So afterwards, I was like, man, you got to come on the podcast because I think a lot of my listeners would find this very, very helpful. So I've got him on here today and we have an amazing conversation. We talk a lot about creating efficiencies in the studio in terms of your hardware setup and your signal flow and your workflow. We talk a lot about Recording vocals and how to capture perfect vocals as a result of being efficient, and how to create vibe and energy and flow in the studio and keep people in their flow state. I talk about things like work-life balance, which is also a very important topic in this industry because work-life balance it can get a little out of hand for a lot of people, right? Like if you're working hard, it's very easy to want to always be in the studio, but you definitely don't want to neglect. Your life outside of the studio, and uh, we talk about it a little bit in the podcast. But you know, as I'm getting older, and as I now have a wife, it's very important to me to have that work life balance, and you know, figure out how I manage my time so that I can really embrace my life outside of the studio and embrace all the good elements of my life outside. You know, with my wife, and and just all of the things that you know we love doing, and all my hobbies outside of music. And I think that Gabe shares a lot of great insight in this episode as to how we can work smarter, how we can be more efficient in the studio and with our artists so that we can have a much better work-life balance. And he gets into some really, really good points in here. So I think you're gonna find that very helpful. And we also talk about artist development. And this is something that he does as an engineer, as a producer, that I think adds a tremendous value to the people that he works with. And I think you're going to find everything he has to say about that. Very interesting. And it might change the way that you actually start to approach your own projects so that you can provide more value to your artists and so that you can see more success as a result of the success your artists have. And it's a full circle thing that Gabe gets into. So... I think you're gonna just find this episode so, so, so helpful. So let's not waste any more time. Let's just jump right into it. Gabe, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, brother. So for people who might not know who Gabe Gallucci is, can you give us a little Coles notes on kind of how you got into this, uh, what your background is in music and ultimately why you're mixing now and and producing?
1: Yeah, so uh, first, thanks for having me on, bro. Really appreciate it, this is awesome. So got started, um, I'd say the drumline came to my high school uh, when I was in grade nine. And so up to that point, I had an interest in music and I remember like sitting in grade eight class and my teacher, Mr. Byrne, was like talking about his high school band and I was like, wow, like that's the coolest thing, like I wish I could make songs. And then the drum line came to my school in grade nine and I went from never playing drums before to I actually ended up being the leader of the snare line within a year. I just like went all in, I was like, this is the best thing ever, I love drums. And then that obviously evolved into playing a drum kit and playing AC, DC, And, you know, ZZ Top in my basement was like, cool, but now I'm like, I need to play with other people. So now I started playing in bands and I went from like playing in just like normal bands to like I was taking any gig I could, you know, playing in bars in grade 11 till like, you know, one, two in the morning and then going to school the next day, like just, just loving it. And so uh, when it came time to, you know, figure out what I wanted to do with life as university came, you know, I went to, I was, I'm the oldest of three in an Italian household. So, you know, the path for me was you got to get a degree. Uh, So initially I went to University of Toronto, but right before I started that, I kind of like figured out this new way of live performing with drums. And I uh, pioneered the drummer DJ thing here in Toronto. So, you know, like the Travis Barker DJ AM thing. So I started doing that here in nightclubs in Toronto to like EDM. And that was when like, that's in like 2009 when house music was like coming over and like David Guetta had his whole moment and so there was this like craze of you know music that came over from Europe the clubs were changing and I kind of found the sweet spot of like playing drums in clubs and so I got to open for Dead Mouse doing that I headlined uh, the government which was like a huge club here in Toronto and as a result between that and playing in bands I started to want to make the music more than just be a player and so my band we started when we went in to make our first EP I was like Fascinated by the process because up to that point. I just wanted to be a drummer I didn't think I didn't even think about what recording was or any of that and so I Was just blown away by the process and then when I'm doing the drum and DJ gigs I'm hearing all this crazy stuff coming out of Europe from all these DJs and I'm like wow like okay Like I want to try this. I want to start making this stuff And so I ended up dropping out of U of T. I was able to pay my bills with the drum gigs because I was I was making like, you know a couple hundred bucks a gig playing a couple nights a week, so I'm like sweet i'm paying my bills and now i'm just gonna like dive headfirst into ableton and so i spent all my time in a you know in my basement just on youtube figuring out how to do this and just became like obsessed with the process and as i would uncover new things i was like oh wow there's so much more to this i remember when i first came across you know chris lord algae and i was like whoa like the the mixer is a role like this is a whole other thing and then i find out like he's mixed like all these crazy records which is a drummer are like foundational to who i am and so i just kept having my mind blown and kept just working on my chops and would start producing the bands i was in was making you know edm stuff on the side for that was my personal music and then started to take it more seriously as I realized like my love for playing just wasn't wasn't there compared to this. I just loved being in the studio. I loved mixing. I loved taking something into my car after we'd made it and being like, wow, like we we made this? Like that's that's what that's what we do. Um, so I put the playing aside and then just like went really all in. Um, and that's when I did like the mix with the master's courses. So I did two of those. I did one with Manny American and one with Tony Maserati. Um, and those were like foundational to me because getting to see the masters at work um, was crazy. And that was kind of like my first formal experience, like learning, because up to that point, I was already producing and working with artists, but I didn't come up through the studio system. I didn't, I don't know. I didn't even think to actually, at the time to like go work at a studio. I just thought like, you just got to do this on your own. And that's kind of my mentality. I'm a bit, I'm like, that's the entrepreneur in me. I'm always just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to figure this out myself. So that was really cool getting to kind of see and hear them and their perspective and them coming from like traditional backgrounds and the way they they grew. And so yeah, did those and then started like elevating the artist I was working with got to work with Sean Mendez on a couple things on early in his career. I mixed a song called Memories for him and cut the vocals on it too and that was a wicked experience. Um, started producing a lot of vocals. I had my first top 10 on country radio and everything just kind of started building at once. Like I say 2015 was the year that like the lights really turned on in my career and I went from like kind of just figuring out if I could do this to like working on stuff and actually having a profile that I could market and say like, no, I work on competitive records. And uh, since then, it's just been a never ending, you know, progression of trying to, you know, keep one upping that keep getting better and and growing so that I can continue to do this long term. That's amazing, man.
0: I'm also the oldest of three in an Italian family and a drummer. So I, we we got a little I can relate really Exactly, to this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: I could see the electronic behind you so it's like oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh yeah, let's go."
0: Yeah, there's that that pressure especially when you're in that Italian household of like you got to do something. Like, what are you what are you going to do, right?
1: Totally. Totally. And I and I get it. Like both my parents came from very like modest backgrounds. Like, you know, since she came from nothing, both of them and, and became you know, great executives in their own rights in business. So for them, it was like they knew that that path worked. I think for me is that, you know, I where I battled with them as I said, you know, you guys taught me so well, I know where I I can see through in music where I can make this real. And so I kind of always had that mindset and had that optimism like, no music, like like we can do this for real, like this is a real job. I can see where the white space is here on how money can be made and and I didn't have it that refined at 18 I was I was definitely a little more like just blind head down like let's go but as I kind of progressed I started to to see that more and more and see where where this could become an actual like real career
0: yeah and the way you put it there I I just kind of had that you articulated it so perfectly it was like kind of the first time I realized it for myself too it's like yeah I came from a family where like my my dad's side they had their own business and like it was very successful and and you know so I grew up in that like kind of like you gotta you gotta work hard that, yeah so like really like thinking back to it yeah like they totally instilled all those same values in me and and yeah although they didn't get music at first it's like I I saw it you know I was like okay I see I see this work ethic I can make this happen and you know doesn't matter what it is I'm gonna figure it out and and, and do it
1: yeah. Totally. So totally. I
0: totally relate to that, man. That that's wicked. In terms of like, you talked about starting to DJ or starting to drum and do the DJ thing as well. Um, what was it like for going from that transition of like you kind of just realizing, okay, I, I can record myself. I can record drums. Like getting into drums is obviously very detailed and involved and all that stuff, but then transitioning that to working with other artists, like were you just, did you just start with your own bands first or
1: like, what was that progression like? Once I kind of caught the bug, it was like, I went uh, similar to how I, you know, with my drumline story of like never playing drums till then like leading the drumline. It's like when I kind of, I'm like an all in or nothing kind of person. So as soon as I was like, oh, I need to figure out how to do this. Cause I also felt in my band, like once the drums were recorded, like I felt kind of useless. Because as drummers we're not you know songwriting isn't our thing, we don't play a melodic instrument. So I think like versus some of my guitar player friends, our contribution our, we don't learn how to contribute based on our instrument. And so that kind of forced me to be like, okay, no, I gotta add value to my band. like I gotta learn how to write songs. I gotta learn how to I gotta learn how to contribute to the song. And so that's what was like I would go home every night after band practice and you know stay up till three four in the morning just like, trying to figure out how to make the demos. And then I would, I eventually, you know, was the guy in the chair for my band making all of our demos and like figuring out how to do that. Um, what was interesting though, when I started to learn was how bad I was at programming drums. And I think like, that was an interesting thing being a drummer because guys who are good at programming drums aren't drummers. And I think the reason is, is because they don't think about the limitations of their limbs. They just program and so, I think I had, to, like, I had to break free from the idea that like this had to be played by a human and had to just go off of like, what sounds wicked? And I remember at the beginning, they're like, yo dude, for like a guy who plays drums, like you can rip the kit, but you suck at programming. Like what's, <laughs> like, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like these sound like, these sound like trash. So that was a cool exercise into like, and that adjustment was like good learning. And so uh, yeah, I, like doing all that, it was just, I wanted to add value to my band, so I just went for it. And then I was recording my drum covers because I was doing all these like EDM covers, and was like, okay, that was my first step into recording. Looking back now, I was like, I had no idea even like how I figured out how to get signaling, because I had no concept of signal flow, like at all. So, so I was just <laughs> ast- like, to this day, I'm astounded that I even figured out how to record it. Um, and I, when I listened back to some of them, like they're so compressed, but they were booming, like. I I guess like the naivety of doing it was like also kind of cool because you hear like I just kind of went for it So I kind of like some of the reckless abandon was cool when I listened back But yeah, I started doing the drum covers was making the demos for my band Was starting to kind of get fed up being in just a band and not getting to work on a bunch of other music plus being in a band got tough because I'm a very like A-type, like let's go do it personality, and like to get everyone in alignment with you to be just as gung ho all the time was starting to wear on me. And especially being a drummer, like I have very little control of the destiny of the band, which I'm sure you know you felt <laughs> totally to. relate, man. You know, so I was like, man, I want to like I want to work with artists who are just as crazy as me, like who are just as like ready to like make this happen. And so I started taking everything I learned and and was just kind of like, listen, like at the time, my first. Band I really worked with was um, my buddy Reed from My Darkest Days. So Matt had just left to go work with Three Days Grace. And so at the time they were kind of figuring out what they were gonna do. My Darkest Days was actually developing my band. And now they were in a spot where like, okay, we gotta gotta figure out where we're gonna go as individuals now that Matt's over at Three Days. And so the first project we worked on was this like folk band called Streetlight Social. And Chris Miller was the singer of that band. He actually wrote um, Fallen Angel for Three Days Grace that came out a couple years later. Awesome dude, great songwriter. And so they had great songs, but they were just scratching these demos together. And I was like, guys, listen, you know what? I can add value here. Like, let me me take a shot. I'm gonna produce this for you. If you like it, let's go. And then I sent them back the first version and they're like, this is great. Like, we got two more, did the whole EP. And that kind of was like, gave me the confidence, like, okay, like I can do this. And I did that 100% like all myself. So it was like my first time into the wild, like, Can I do this? And I trusted their opinions because, you know, there were real musicians with careers. And if they said it was good, I was like, cool. Okay. I back it. Let's go.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. It sounds like a pretty good end to
1: start off, right? Yeah. And it was great source material. Like, I think that was, I got spoiled, right? Like, I had great vocalists. I had great songs. So it was like, it was a good Starting uh, my foundation was good.
0: So tell me a little bit about your studio setup because I, I see behind you You've got this awesome space and then before we hit record you were telling me that you're you're moving out of there soon So yeah, let's get into the kind of the setup you have now and why things are changing for you
1: So I think like all of us who do this for a living I have gone through the midlife crisis of Analog versus digital multiple times and the, th- the thing is like when I started I actually had no idea that analog versus digital existed, because my first foray into this was all you know DJs with Ableton, and so like the fact that like gear existed was like something I realized kind of after, and then as I started diving into like really honing into wanting to be a mixer, I think I started to understand like the role gear was playing in you know the arsenal and and, and the workflow of. Uh, these men and women that I respected so much. So I was then kind of like in emulation mode, like thinking, okay, you know, if if these are the tools that they're using to win, you know, I need to understand why these tools are so important to them. Why? Why? Why do they talk about this tool this way? Why are they talking about consoles in this way? What What is it about it that gives it to them? And so I kind of went on this like deep dive of like trying to understand. What it is about the gear that makes the magic, and you know that took that took quite a while because one is you know I was used to working with a laptop and a bunch of speakers and having a very minimalist setup to now going like okay like I need to learn why an SSL works so I actually like paid a studio to go learn how an SSL worked before I did the the um, session with Manny and mixed with the masters because I knew he worked on an SSL so I wanted to understand the console, because I wanted to be able to speak his language and understand what he was doing and why. And as I started to learn gear, it kind of, I I was like, okay, like this, this definitely sounds different. This definitely does something. And I would integrate it into my own workflow. But I kept getting frustrated with the fact that like there's limitations. You had to have the gear with you. Um, you know, you had to rent the studio if a client wanted a recall, whatever. You know, I only had so much limited time I could spend on the SSL because I could only book the studio for so many hours. So then I always found myself just going back to my Pro Tools rig, you know, me, the things I could control. I always just coming coming back to there. But still, as I would go, I, I still I would find myself reaching some of these roadblocks and I'd be like, oh, there's something about that gear that I feel like I'm not getting. So then I would just keep going back and forth. And I got to actually spend time at Blackbird Studios. As part of like learning my training, I kind of like decided on a whim, I just wanted to go to recording school. And this was actually, uh, while I was there, I actually had the number one album on Billboard in Spain. But I was just kind of like in this mode of like, I I still hadn't figured out in my head like exactly the sounds. And I think part of this too is like, by not coming up in the traditional studio world, I didn't necessarily have some of the like console experience or gear experience that maybe some of my peers did who came up in that world and had that gear every day. So I kind of just like had these ideas that I wanted to battle test. And so going down there, there was every piece of gear in the world. Um, so I got to test everything. I got to try on my ideas. And I got to learn what the gear does. And by figuring that out, I was like, oh, you know, the differences are just how the harmonic content is generated, how, how they're taking the single signal and and mangle it in a way. And, And so, you know, why is an old 2BQ good? Well, a 2BQ is really like a distortion on the way in, then like, you know, potentially another distortion because of how the wiring's working, then the EQ itself, then the tubes, then distortion on the way out. Like you're getting all these extra characteristics that you wouldn't in the box because you're just putting in one thing. So I just started learning like, okay, I gotta add different layers of distortion in between some of my processing to mimic some of that, to get it. And so I was starting to match it. So then when I came back to Toronto and set up my rig, I had a modest setup. But then on the mixing side, I still like, I still had that like romanticism about a console. And so I leased another studio for the past year that had an SSL AWS. And I was like, okay, I need to just like, for once and for all, have this console to myself at all times so I can like battle test in my brain, if all these crazy theories are actually empirically true, or if I'm just, you know, fooling myself with some of the gear marketing, or you know, kind of like all of us, we just have this romance for big desks and all this gear. And honestly, like it came back to like, all I need is a laptop, my UAD cards, and a pair of headphones, and I'm good. Like it's it's me. Like the and and I think that's and it's for that's the same for everybody. You know, it's like. The magic is in you, and I, and by making so many records over the past couple of years, you know, the quality of my records never like substantially grew based on a piece of gear. It was always like the big breakthroughs were just like me learning something or having a philosophical change or, or Im- investing in myself. That's when the records got better. So when I doubled down on me, I made better music. So then I'm like, man, I'm spending a lot of money to like have all this stuff but like it's not not making the records better. So then if I don't need it, then I'm just gonna double down on me and I can make better records for the artists who hire me. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here to deliver A plus for them. So uh, yeah, so I'm kind of going back now to like, I've kind of completed all my beta testing for now. And I'm back to just like me a laptop, my UAD stuff and pair of headphones. I do have my ATCs as well. I got the SCM 20s. I really like those. Those have been the first monitors since NS10s that, uh, you know, I was was NS10 guy for forever, but these are the only ones that seem to kick me off of them. And I love them. So yeah, so now I'm kind of like going a bit more like, you know, can I put it in my knapsack and where can I work now? I want to go to the artist. I want to change the way I work a bit as opposed to being landlocked. Because also being in one solitary room for 18 hours a day was starting to kill me. And I, I I wanted to kind of just be out in the world a little more. So once I realized that like I didn't need all the other stuff, it was kind of like, okay, cool. Like now let's do some cool stuff with the with, with that.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. And I love what you said about just doubling down on yourself, because that 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 is the thing, right? It's like Oh yeah. You know, I fully admit, like you put if you were to put me behind the wheel of like a Ferrari or something, I don't know how to fucking drive that thing. You know, but but like A race car driver, different story, right? (laughs) Like Totally. It's all about the skill. And like if you invest in yourself and you learn
1: the craft and how to do it properly, then you're gonna be good at it. So totally. And and I think like I've heard a lot of bad music made in great studios. Same here. And I've heard a lot of great stuff made in bedrooms. Like Billie Eilish. Like like they like what? I know they get it like they get a they get a pro to mix it, but
0: Come on. Like there's a video floating around right now about Billie Eilish and like her, I, guess, I think it's her brother that produces everything. Yeah. And it's like, they show all these pictures of the studio and it's like this like living room that is just the most cramped. Like nothing is acoustically set up properly no. at all. It's just like no. a mess. But But look, it's like number one right now. So
1: who cares? Right. Yeah. If it's objectively good. And like, and that was the other thing. Like what, what really started to, you know, get to me was like, when my sister listens to a record. Like, my sister's never been like, oh, you know, I could hear that they didn't use an SSL on this. Like, if they did, I would like it more. <laughs> like, my sister has yeah. never judged a record by that. And I think, like, because we're all hanging around engineers and we're in studios all the time, we get stuck in this, like, echo chamber of shit because we're not talking to the people that actually listen. We're talking to each other. And when we talk to each other, we're like, oh, man, oh, can't wait to, like, spend all this money to get this thing that, like, might make it better. And, like, the, the audience, like, they don't if, if it emotionally hits them. That's all they care about. They don't care how we got to the end So my thing became like okay How can I get to the end in the way that is the most creatively empowering for me and I found that? For me, it's it's I don't need much. I think because I started on with very little I think maybe that's why um, so for me like it feels very natural to just have a laptop in a very minimal setup because when I started, I didn't have all the other stuff. It's
0: almost like the gear is like a status symbol for engineers, like like it's a like self-imposed status symbol. Totally,
1: right? and I think for some, like, I think for some, if this is also your hobby too, if you're like, I can see also, like, if this is your hobby, then like, why not buy a bunch of gear too? Cause like-
0: Yeah, you're having fun with it. Yeah,
1: it, so I get that too, and I get the the fun. Like I, you know, got to sit in Advanced Vance Powell's studio and like watch him do his thing. And like, you know, his whole thing is like, Working on an SSL for him is more fun So and like and he's a fucking G that guy could school us in the box for sure He'll that guy will school you on any recording medium possible. He is that much of a badass, but for him He's creatively inspired on that setup and that's what gets him to the finish line the best So then sure absolutely like all the power to you. There's no judgment on my end of as to like You shouldn't have gear or anything like that. I think it's more so you just got to find what lights your fire and then lean into that and then you know embrace that and go for it or if you're a kid starting out like don't not make music because you don't have stuff i think like i never didn't just because i wanted to try out all this gear i didn't stop making tunes as a result and i think like that's another key thing like i used to see i see a lot of artists sometimes will like buy gear or, or producers like you'll buy a piece of gear to think that that'll fix your song and like it never does it's like just invest in you, invest in your brain. That'll fix your song, you know. And 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 I, I'm shocked now at how much stock stuff I use compared to when I started. Like I wanted all these plugins, and I'm like, oh, like I need all this stuff. And it's like, man, my like my my plugins are even minimal because it's like once you understand you and how you want to work and what gets you to the end, you only need a certain amount of tools to really get it done.
0: And also too, like I feel like we we've discussed like how engineers themselves feel like they need all the gear and then we hang out with other engineers who make us feel like we need the gear but then there's that like middle ground of the artist and we're like well the artist needs to see that we have awesome gear right because then like that they're gonna love it but the funny thing is that like to your point of like trying out all this different equipment and seeing you know what sounds better and this and that like i've done the exact same thing with artists where like i've had the u87 in the room and then i've had like a cheap hundred dollar apex condenser microphone and 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 I've had them both up in the room, and the artist
1: doesn't even bat an eye. They don't they don't know what they're looking at. They're just like,
0: you got results, no. cool.
1: No, and it's like to build on that. Like what I noticed too is that from changing studio setups over the past couple of years, I've had some. I've been fortunate to have some long standing clients, who as I increased and decreased my setup, like never gave a shit. Like they were just like, cool man, we're hiring you. Like I, oh, this is great. Like oh, great, cool. You got a bigger <laughs> space. But like at no point were they like, oh man, you don't have that anymore. I guess we can't work together. Oh, you got this? Now we can work. Like it didn't, it actually didn't change my business other than like maybe make my Instagram look a little cooler. Um, and like some of those vanity things. But but from uh, like the art, I find artists now like don't care either. Cause they're, I, I guess like, I don't know. So I, I think, and I think that's great. Like I think that's great. Cause it takes the pressure off. Because I think like I think a lot of big recording studios, it's going to be interesting to see how they move forward, because I think like recording studios charging by the hour is really tough business. And I don't think that's like conducive to the artist. And as recording technology, you know, is so democratized now, I'm not sure where like big studios have a place in the way they currently function they they definitely have merits and i love going into big studios but at the same time it's a tough sell especially with just the economic climate so i'm very curious to see you know where that world goes and i think like it's unfortunate because i think studios feel this like pressure to have all of this like extra gear where i think like you could have really great spaces with a more minimal setup it would lower the operating cost it could make it more user friendly for the artist and I don't know. I think we're. I think it's just not there yet. I think it's it's coming, but I think that apex will be really cool because rooms are great. We need we need the rooms. We need the acoustic spaces. I don't know if we need you know the three million dollars in gear. that yeah, have.
0: and you're just pumping your money to like stuff that is a vanity thing more than anything. Like I always joke around that I'd love to have a space one day where like I have a quote unquote neve board, but it's just empty. It's just like literally just a faceplate of like a, a console just to have it you know people would walk in and they'd be like fucking awesome and then it'd be like yeah cool let's like use the Apollo
1: you know yeah <laughs> yeah and it's it's kind of like you don't you don't need it like you just don't you know so and if you look and it's funny like you see all these studios like all of them have guys with laptops and Apollos on them and two faders on the SSL app just so they can monitor yeah <laughs> so it's like, like that's you a hefty
0: hydro bill for two faders yeah
1: oh my yeah that well that was the thing like that's the other thing with gear and and overhead cost. Like I think the biggest killer for anyone in, in our business is like managing your overhead. I think like where I've seen most people, artists and engineers, just like get totally wrecked is by misjudging their overhead costs. Including myself. Like I've been there. Like it's, it's brutal. And like overhead's your killer because you need to be able to stay in the game because what we do is not consistent. And, you know, clients pay on time. Some don't some 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 bail you know we've all had those those experiences and so it's like if you don't get your cash flow right like you can get really exposed and now if you're incurring a lot of this overhead that's a tough that's a tough game to be in for sure
0: well one of the things that i wanted to talk about and this kind of ties into everything we've just we've just discussed but when i first met you you were talking at the imsta Fest in toronto about yeah. maximizing your rig and totally. um a lot of what you had to say kind of ties to what we're talking about here, but you, you basically summed it up as like creating efficiencies in your setup and creating it in terms of like, you know, the actual hardware you're using, the software you're using, your workflow, all that kind of stuff. So I was wondering if you can just kind of comment a little bit more about, you know, what does maximizing your rig mean to you and and how you incorporate that into your setup then?
1: Yeah, so for me, it's just like shortest distance from idea to execution, from observing so many masters of the craft what I noticed is, especially when, you know, speaking with Tony and uh, Manny, and I even got a chance to go to Electric Lady uh, um, when Michael Brower was still there and talk to him and and see his rig, is they were all very obsessed with workflow. Same with Chris lord Lordalgie. Like, I'm, like, CLA was, like, somebody I did, like, a deep dive on before he started doing all these tutorials, and I was, like, analyzing everything he did because I was, like, man, this guy's cranking out so many mixes, like... You know, he would always talk about getting in his car, like the console's a race car for him. You know, he doesn't have the rear view mirrors on, he just goes. So it was like, okay, you have to set up your tools in a way where you don't have to think about the tools. You just have to execute with the tools. So that goes part into me downsizing my setup is that I realized for me, I only need a certain set of tools to be able to work really fast for the artist so that I can get this stuff done at a really high level really quickly because speed is everything. And a big thing for me was when I got really into vocal tracking and producing vocals. You know, capitalizing on the emotion of a singer is purely predicated on you being fast because I need to make sure that I keep them up and in their flow state so that when they're at their peak performance, I am capturing that. And nothing kills a flow state like technical problems or waiting for you to patch 17 things in or let's bait it, you know, let's shoot out 19 different mics or all of those things that kind of get in the way from like, no, 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 like, oh, you're feeling good right now. Let's get in the booth. Let's sing this. I want to capture this right now. I want to be able to get you going right now. So I basically just like have everything set up from my laptop to my UAD stuff to my templates to whatever so that I am the quickest distance from idea to execution.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's perfect. So then in terms of like, so it sounds like you've worked your hardware into your workflow, but then in terms of like, do you you follow a similar workflow when it comes to like, The recording, editing and mixing stages, like do you have like a very similar train of thought that you take with all that or?
1: Yeah, because, yeah, because I I, I basically all of it is just setting myself up at different stages to execute quickly. So how I record, you know, I comp as I go, I'm editing as I go while the singer's in the booth so that by the time, you know, they're walking in to hear it, I pretty much got a comp edited vocal, you know, like I've I've got it ready to go. And I do the same thing when I'm recording acoustic guitars or any guitar or whatever. Like it's the same flow of, you know, I'm comping as I go. I'm, uh, you know, I have one record track and then I have kind of the comp track right under it and I'm just flying it in. So by the time I'm done, you know, it's it's pretty much there where I need it to be because I never understood watching people, you know, record stuff and then comp it later or, any of those like kind of workflow things. It's like, no, let's just do this right now. And then that way too, I can make sure I have everything I need from the singer because there's nothing worse than saying like, hey, you know, can you come back in? Like we didn't get it. It's like, what do you mean? Well, if you know right there, you know. And so I kind of make sure that at every stage, I'm kind of eliminating any of the extra processes that have to, that, you know, require me to sit there for another two to three hours after the session and do work I could have been doing while I was doing it. So for recording vocals then, you were
0: talking about comping on the fly. So are you not even using playlists at all? Like you're literally just like, yep, that sounded great, like I felt that, let's keep that. Oh yeah,
1: no, no, so I am play- so I have one track and I'm playlisting everything on one. Okay. So it's all on one track that's just, I'm recording to that one track all day. And then under it is where I have you know lead vocal, I have two tracks for doubles, harmonies, ad-libs, all of those things. I have all those set up under and all of them have the processing I want. And then I'm just flying it down to the respective tracks right there so that it's all filing in. And then the reason why I record only on one track is so that if I need to go readjust something or edit later, everything's got you know the number. So it'll say like the singer's name and then dot and then the number. So then I can see where in the takes I need to go back in and just splice a, an S or a word or whatever. Because um, sometimes I do need to make some of those adjustments. Um, but this way, it's all flown down. Um, and then I have safety that, you know, cause again, I'm not perfect. So sometimes I might miss one word with sharp and I can just fly something in from another take and, and we're good.
0: No, oh, that's awesome. I love that idea of just like, get it over and done with like real, real quick and then have it ready for by the time they get out of the booth.
1: Yeah. There's so much inefficiency in our world. Cause I don't think like, I think this is like the part of the commerce side in me. It's just kind of like, you know, like let's get this done. Like, I want to get this done. Like, I want to, I love doing this, but like, like, let's get it done. Like, uh, you know, uh, and, and all the pros who operate at a high level do that. I just didn't see it being taught as overtly. And I honestly, I get better performances out of it. You know, singers who would be kind of afraid to come in because they're like, oh, I don't want to sing for three hours. It's like, we're in and out and like, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes. Sometimes even less if the singer's that's really best. feeling it that day. Yeah. Like if the singer's on, you know, I don't want to spend any more time than I need to. And I don't want to hammer them either. I don't want them to have to sing and and just make them sing out stuff for the sake of it. It's like, you know, if I can get the vibe right. And, and that's the other thing too, is, is that by having my workflow down, especially with vocal tracking, I can focus all my attention on vibing with the performer and getting them mentally in the zone. Cause that's that's really where I saw the best stuff come from. It's not like, you know, you could put a good mic in front of anybody. It's it, it's not gonna make the vocal better if they aren't there. The emotion is generated by them, not from the, the tubes in the mic. So I can fix and create all of those other harmonic things. I, there's no plugin for emotion. And so that's where it's like, if I get the tools out of the way for me, I don't have to think then I'm just going to focus all my my intent and give them all the love I got so that they know that they're supported by their engineer and I got their back and we're going to go to war right now and we're going to go get this song and let's go make it happen. And that's kind of, that worked for me. And it, and it became a lot more fun too, because now I'm like, I get up and dance while we record vocals. Like I am, <laughs> I'm, and I'm involved on like a physical level. Like I, you know, it became a lot more fun that way too. Yeah. So there's a few things that you just said there that
0: I want to unpack. So on the topic of, you know, comping on the fly and recording vocals fast. And you said you're like only doing like 40 minute sessions, which I think for a lot of people, like, one of the things that holds people back and and one reason why a lot of home engineers don't even release their music is because they feel the process takes forever to do right and you know they see people who track everything you know note by note or whatever like some people just work a certain way because they feel like they get some better results when it comes to vocals for you it sounds like you're you're all about the efficiency. So what's your approach for tracking vocals? And is it like, do you do section by section or do you just like do it all at once? Like, do you, do you test that to see how it's how it's feeling or? So it
1: depends on the singer. If I have like, so it's yeah, it's all predicated on the singer and the type of song too. you know, typically with pop, anything pop related, it's a little more puzzle pieced. I'm also going to need a lot of tracks. I'm going to need a lot of real estate. So I'm going to need tons of doubles, tons of all these things. But it depends on the singer and, and the relationship I have with them and how I know they like to work. Sometimes, some singers like to drive the bus. Some singers want me to drive the bus. So that also depends. Cause some will say, you know, listen, let's start from the top, let me get going. Or some will say, listen, you tell me what to do. I'm just ready to go. Like, give me a direction and take me home. And so that works either way. And then it also depends on the song. So I know, you know, with a couple artists, if the last chorus is gonna be booming, then I need this, I'm gonna save that because I know that by the time, as soon as they do that, they're done. So I need to do everything else because I know as soon as they do that three times, I'm over. Or if they gotta do big ad lib runs, those kind of things. The other thing too is, is that I'm also evaluating where they get their confidence from. Because, especially if I've worked with a singer a couple of times, I gotta see where they get quick wins so that they feel like they're in it and then I know that they'll get into a rhythm quickly. I love that. Yeah, like I, where I find is, you know, when I work with a singer f- for the first time, what I'm trying to figure out is like, where, where do they get into the rhythm and how quickly can I get them there? And so I'm trying different things to see, again, I just want them in that flow state. I don't want them to think or dread. And so like, I do a lot of things, even on like the vibe of the studio. Like I make sure like everything from like, parking isn't stressful. Hey, oh, you want a coffee, you want water? whatever you want, hey, how's it going, how's your day, like I get them, I try and get everybody just like mentally just like in a state of like, let's do this, cool, this is gonna be fun, like forget about whatever bullshit you've had to go through today, or if that's gonna help it, then like let's double down on that bullshit, like tell me what's happening. I wanna use whatever I can to bring out the best. And so, yeah, it's all those kind of things all in one.
0: I love that because that that was actually my my follow-up question, which was like, you know, getting, capturing that energy and that vibe from the people and like, you know, what what do you do to, to get that out of them? I like what you said there, just like, you know, everything from parking to
1: just chatting about their day. Yeah, because like we're in a customer service business, right? And I, listen, we all forget it sometimes because we all, you know, it's like at the end of the time, like we have to we, the cooler you can make it for the artists, like this is their vacation. We get to be in the studio every day. So for us, it's kind of like, where's like, you know, y- we walk in and see the console and we're like, yeah, it's cool. To them, they're like, yo, I'm here today. Like this is way better than the nine other days I've had, you know, <laughs> in the past two weeks. So like, I'm ready to be here. I try and work myself up into a state where I'm like, feeding into that, feeding into that joy for them that takes a bit like I find like sometimes like I really psych myself up because if I if my energy's flat where I would always find like you know singers would complain about other situations they've had is just like the engineer just didn't care they were just hitting the space bar they didn't feel like they were invested they were just kind of clocking them in clocking them out thank you you know pay me my money and here's your vocal and that's why I stopped caring about vocal chains because I started doing a lot of like top-line work for EDM producers in Europe and you know Quite a few times, they'd be like, dude, what's your chain? And I'm like, it's a TLM 102 into an Apollo Twin. And they're like, no, seriously. And I'm like, no, seriously. They're like, why does it sound so good? I'm like, I don't know, like, it's, it's cause it's like, uh, as long as your chain gets it in clean, everything else is under, is up to you. You know, how good that vocal is, is entirely up to you. Um, and so I, I spend all my energy on them. And, and uh, like I make sure I'm on the talk back. like being on the talk back is so important and being able to deliver criticism in a way that isn't deflating because you need to be able to deliver exactly what it is you need them to be better at without attacking who they are. And that is a very tough balance because you're like telling them they're not good at something, but it's like at the same time, you're like, I know you can do this. And so that's a that's a delicate balance. But yeah, I really enjoy it. Like I honestly, when you it's a tough process, and I would say sometimes it can be very arduous. But when you get a great vocal, and when the artist is really proud of it, it's like super rewarding, because now they've know they've they've hit a level that they didn't expect to come into the day with.
0: You kind of said something there that I think ties into an idea that you and I were talking about getting into here today, which is that like, you're often recording these people who have had these shitty weeks and then they come to the studio and, like, they're jacked about being in the studio and they're super excited. And I think that part of the... I don't want to say that this is a problem, but it can get to a point where it becomes a problem where, you know we often deal with people that are so creative in the studio that they just want to be in there the whole time. And then what happens is eventually engineers are just like, okay, I'm in the service industry. I got to keep these people happy. And then they get so locked into like just being in the studio all the time that they lose that work-life balance. And I know that you were mentioning earlier to me that, you know, work-life balance is something that you're really making a big effort at trying to strike that balance and, and, you know, live that out. I was wondering if you could maybe go into a little bit more about kind of where you see that work-life balance in your own life and, and how you try to manage the, the artists that are like, gotta be in the studio, like this is just my creative energy and you, you're my engineer, so you gotta be with me, right? Versus like living your life and trying to find that balance there.
1: Totally, so what I've really tried to build in in the past little bit is obviously by nailing the workflow, I'm reducing as much inefficiency with me as possible so that I am executing A-level, A-speed at all times. Where I see problems is that, honestly, artists are really bad project managers. So I see a lot of projects go sideways because they're poorly managed, and if you don't have the right self-esteem as an artist, the pursuit of perfection is the paralysis of any project. And so a combination of those things and then the studio being a hangout versus a place of business it all starts to creep into this this whole thing of like we're just going to spend a lot more time here than we need to and and sometimes a good hang's great like I'm not knocking on that but you know when you're spending 18 hours a day and not seeing family or having to skip things and and there's a lot of sacrifices we make to do this but at the same time it's like a lot of that can be avoided it's a lot of it's unnecessary because it's not like every moment of those 18 hours was crucial. There's a lot of wasted downtime and 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 things like that where I'm like, "Oh, like we could have car- we could have done this much quicker." And so I I really try and with the artists I work with, early on I build that trust with them to say like, "Listen, like I'm going to get you to the finish line. You got to know like I got your back. I'm here so that we can win together. I'm here to win for you. You're hiring me because I am your assassin. I'm your James Bond. You want me to like come in here and smash this record with you, take care of this so you don't have to worry about it, and so that you can go out and sell this and tour and do all the things you need to do. So I am going to help run the process for you to get to that finish line in a better state. And so by project managing, taking that role, I was able to build a really good rapport with the artists I work with because they know when I say we're done, that like, oh no, we got it. It's good. If they're questioning it and vice versa, now they take confidence in the fact that like, I'm not trying to cut them on time because I don't want to do a great job. It's like, no, when we got it, we got it. Like, we're good. Like, let's move on. Um, So when I started doing that, that helped. But yeah, like, I just think in our industry, there's a ton of inefficiency with time. One is if you work in the traditional studio environment and you're charging by the hour, it's in your best interest to charge by the hour. So you want that artist to lose themselves. It's like gambling in Vegas. I want you at the craps table all night. So I want you there ordering food to the studio, hanging out, doing it, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's marathon it. I have never charged by the hour. I charge by the song or by the service. And so as a result, whether that takes me five minutes, 50 minutes, or five days, doesn't matter. It's one fee. But I've never lost on the time. Like, it, you know, it, it ended up being better because I was able to, because the other thing is, is if an artist comes in and they, and they pay for three hours, they want all three of those hours. So that means if they're coming in to record vocals for three hours, they are going to make sure that they're getting every cent of that, even though you probably got the vocal in the first 30 minutes. So because I had my own studio, artists would come in, kill it, and they was like, cool, I accomplished something. I can go enjoy the rest of my day. They didn't feel like they had to sit there and, like, earn those, you know, or, or really use that extra two and a half hours. And so that was great for me. That was great for them. I charged a fair rate. It was cheaper than paying for three hours or in some cases, depending on the studio you go to. And, so, and they felt like, you know, they were good. And then the other thing is, is that because I did that, I would also, you know, if we needed to touch something up, they could also, they could always just pass by. Hey, pop in, pop in for another 20 minutes. I want to get some ad libs. I want to add a harmony. It was never like, Oh, you got to book another hour with me. So it also created that flexibility where the artists now felt free in their project. They didn't have to be constrained by, Oh, okay. If I, if I, as soon as I burn these four hours, that's it. I noticed that as a mixer, because I would get a lot of stuff to mix. And I'm like, you guys really didn't like, you didn't spend the time you needed to get this right. You just did it. And I'm like, well, then what's the point? Because if, if you didn't do it right as the producer, you're not going to get, you're not making the artist look good. The artist's not going to make any money. You can't really show this to anybody because it's not really that great. So you're putting your name on something that's like, ah, well, I clocked out after six hours and this is what I gave them. And so I just noticed it didn't work for everybody. Um, So that helped. So not charging, so charge by the service because now I'm in control of the time. And people are paying you for your
0: expertise more than anything. They need to realize that. If it takes you 10 minutes because you're good at what you do, then they pay for that 10 minutes.
1: And no one ever got mad if we did it quicker because I would play it for them and they would go, wow, this sounds great. So they don't care if it sounds great, they don't give a shit. They just want it great. And I know what I can deliver, so I'm like, I'll deliver great. Here we go. And so that was cool. Um but again, part of the reason why I'm downsizing my setup is cuz again, I I I don't want to be beholden to a dark room anymore. I think like like this year specifically, you know, in 2017 and 2018, I was doing like 300 songs a year. Like I was like I was burning. It was it was nonstop. And that's it not just great.
0: like mixing 300 songs. That's like, you're, you're doing everything. Yeah, I was
1: out between tracking, mixing, producing. I, it was like 300 songs I had contributed to. That's
0: a lot of time with artists.
1: Yeah. And it was great, but it was like, it was a lot. And so in, by the time I hit, you know, and I'd continued that momentum. And by May of, of this year, I had my 28th birthday. And it was kind of like, it was the first time I did that like 10 year projection. And it was like, holy shit, I'm going to be 38. I should probably figure out how to make this. No, I don't want to do this at 38 at this, at this thing without, like, I'm not going to see my kids. If I have kids, you know, my wife, like luckily my girlfriend, like she works in the industry as well. So she understands, which is great. And I think like another thing too, with what we do, like who your partner is in this is massively part of your success level. I feel bad for a lot of my buddies who are in relationships where their partner doesn't understand what they do or why it drives them. That's tough, because what we do is so driven by our love for it, and if the person you theoretically love most sees that as in opposition to them, that's really tough, because now you have to balance that. But I think, you know, I want to be around for more life things, and I, and I think we need to as humans do that, and I, and I don't think our industry's set up to be conducive to life, and a lot of that comes down to just really bad project management. Because music, the music industry is not founded on people who are business-minded, primarily. And so you get a lot of people that don't have formal training in logistics or planning or any of those things. And they don't know that they're creating the problems they're creating in their own projects. And so then things drag on, things take too long. Producers are working on bad timelines. like It works on both sides. And so then it just becomes this never-ending cycle of like, you know, 18-hour days are just what you do. And I don't think that needs to be the case. I think things can be done a lot quicker. I saw a video recently, Akon was talking about, you know, when he was working with Eminem and Eminem would come in at nine, he'd take lunch and he'd leave at five. And he was in the middle of a verse one day and at five o'clock hit and he's like, all right, I'm out of here. That's like arguably like one of the greatest artists of all time. And he he's like, no, man, he's like, I come in, I do what I do and then I leave. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm like, you know, like do it. And like I've heard, you know, I've heard CLA is, is kinda like that too, like from seeing some of his videos. Like he said he likes to treat it like, you know, bankers' hours, like come in, kill it, and try and get out of there at a reasonable hour. Um, I don't know that if that's a hundred percent true, but I thought I heard him say that in an interview once. So I try and emulate as much of that because now as I move forward, like I want I wanna live too. I wanna do things, I wanna be out in the world. I don't wanna be stuck in front of a pair of speakers and wake up one day and I'm 54 and I haven't seen my family or kids or lived. Yeah. I was
0: just interviewing Garth Richardson and he was talking about how his dad in like the peak of his career was like in the studio so much that like there was a stretch where he wasn't even home for like months. And it got to the point where his, his wife had to take out an ad in a paper that she knew he read and made an ad that said jack come home and, no way and like then he saw it and was like boys i gotta go home that's it like <laughs> it's like I, I i think about that and it's like fuck i i i never want that in my life like i i always want that balance like
1: i, I have a good life you know it's, i play music in a good life congrats on getting married bro thanks man <laughs> yeah great life man that's what i mean it's like so you're you're now jumping into like the next stage of life so now you're in you know, like that's like that's a big step. That's awesome. But now it's like, you know, this is this is now a coveted relationship that you have to protect as well. Yeah,
0: and absolutely. And and the work life balance thing has definitely been a big thing that we've talked about. You know, it's it's like we're we're both entrepreneurs, so we're always trying to like come up with stuff and we're always focusing on you know, we got we could always be busy with our business. You know what I mean? Like we could always there's always a million things on our list of things we wanna do. And it's it's hard to find that balance of like, okay, like these are our hours, like this is our date night, you know, like. But you have to do that. You you have Absolutely. to make those difficult decisions, and sometimes it feels awkward to like stop in the middle of a project. But you have to realize that you're doing it to, like, prolong like a
1: happier, more fulfilled life, you know, like. Totally. And and most, a lot of projects can wait. Yeah, they all can. There have been a listen. I live for the projects where it's like they call me and it's like it's game time and we have to do this. Like that's what happened when I mixed the song for Sean. It was like. I got told at 7 p.m. it was time to mix. I think I submitted the files at like 1 a.m. Got a call at 2.30 that it was like, cool, this is good, but we need you to do like a radio revision like to make it like shorter. And I was like, so like I'm in bed, I get up, drive back to the studio. (laughs) Like those moments are awesome and like we definitely need those. But if that's your norm, that gets really hard. So I like like having those sprinkled in because that's also what makes it fun. You want that adrenaline rush, you know? I just mixed another song recently for a big artist. And it was like, it was a similar thing. It was like, hey, we need this by Friday. And it was like Wednesday. And I'm like, let's go. Like, send me the files. You got this? Like, I am ready. You know, like, and so I love that. But I think there's also a balance in that. Like, there's definitely a way to do this better. And I think with the tools and the internet now, we don't have to be in the studio all the time to execute. I think that's another thing too. That's like, that's why, like for me, getting rid of anything analog Is a big thing because it's like if I am going to incorporate a piece of gear into my rig, it better make me substantially more competitive to justify the life sacrifice that I'm going to have to make to have this. And I think that's now my kind of my new metric because I know how competitive I can be with so little, which really is a lot like that, like we have infinitely more tech than the Beatles had to make any of their records. So like, we're fine. We have more than enough tools, even with the small footprint of of what we have, you know, with just like Apollo and Octocard and a laptop. So that's like, that's infinitely amazing in its capacity. So to say that's small is almost doing a disservice to those tools. But I think, yeah, when it comes to how I want to work now, it's like, if, if I got to incorporate something that landlocks me, it better make me Infinitely better.
0: I went through the same thing, like you, you talked about, like having to wake up and drive to the studio. And you know, I think about that with my own studio as well. Like, I, I had a space up until a few months ago. You know, I rented out a, a beautiful space. It was a good room, but like, I just got so sick of having to drive like an hour to 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 my space. Like, you know, yeah. get stuck in traffic, and like it would be an hour to make like a small fix. And and then I got to the point where I realized like. Shit, I just needed my setup at home. Like, half of the stuff I do,
1: I could do from home and... Exactly. And how many times do you get a revision at, like, 9.30? And it's like, oh, man. Okay. Or you got to wait. Like, especially if a project... You know, I've had had a couple projects where it's like, you know, we're doing the revisions and then it's got to go. It's got to go that day. So, I got to just sit here and wait as they come. And you know, sometimes there's hour-long gaps, but I can't go anywhere because as soon as the revision comes in, I got to get something back to them within like 15 to 20 minutes. So it's like, it's, I got to, because it's got to go through all the approvals, right? So it's, I got to wait for it to hit all the email chains, come back to me, and then it's like, okay, cool. Now here are all the versions. Here are all the deliverables. Here's everything. So it's like, I would like to do that in a format that's like I could use the, that time and not lose it while I'm waiting.
0: You talked a little earlier about artist development and uh, how you tend to work a lot with influencers, and I think I think that's a really interesting concept in terms of you know making yourself as the producer engineer, you know, adding a lot more value to what you do. Um, I was wondering if you can go into a little bit about what that entails for you and and kind of what your mindset is behind all of that.
1: Totally. So after working with Sean, because he was kind of like the first really big person from Vine to make it and make it for real and so that put me into a world of other influencers who were kind of like making music and going direct to fans but weren't signed to deals and I had friends who were signed to deals making no money but then I had these other artists I'm working with who have these massive fan bases they control their distribution they're putting out more music and they're making money and I was like wait a second like this is awesome like there's a whole other economy out here of artists that like wants to make great stuff is with building these great fan relationships and is executing but doesn't have all the restrictions that a label artist would so I started getting into that and then I kind of reached this point where I had a bit of like a not an existential crisis but just more like a wow like there are a lot of independent artists out there who just can't afford to make music can't afford to hire high-level engineers or engineers in general and pay for studios because the economy isn't set up that way in terms of being taught to how to be entrepreneurial with music not enough people talk about making money in this industry everyone focuses on it on passion but i think like they just do that to exploit you, as opposed to teach you the tools to like make cash. So that's why, like for me, again going back to my workflow stuff, it's like not like we're here to make money. Like I want to live too. I want to like have a house and be able to live life. And so I started, you know, getting really into seeing how these artists were monetizing their music in a different way, because I was getting all these independent artists um, as coming to me as a mixer. We'd mix the song. We'd all high five and then they'd be like, so now what do I do with this? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, I I have no plan of, I don't know how to release this. I just spent all my time and money making this, but I have zero idea how to exploit this and turn this into something real. And I was like, okay, cool. So how can how can I start to add value here? Because I also know that like, again, we need the work we do out there in the world to bring in more work for us we need artists to make money off their work so they can come back to us or work with other engineers or you know we need that economy of of mid-tier musicians who are like working class musicians that's where that's where most of us are making our bread and butter you know like label projects are great but but not everybody can eat off those and that's a whole that's almost a whole other industry in itself and a whole other game but there's this other economy that can exist where where like that's where everyone's got to make their make their cash. So, I started kind of giving tips on and, and kind of marketing strategy on how to bolster the release so that when it came out, it would do well on Spotify and it would put money in the artist pocket. You know, we could all high five cuz now it's got streams. It's making my portfolio look great because now I have these independent acts that are getting great streams and it's like, "Wow, okay, like we're doing this on no budget." So it's like we're making great songs that are doing well in the marketplace, and artists are coming back because now they know that I'm giving them a competitive product that they're going to win with, that they're going to make money off of. And all they want to do is live off their music, so this is it's a win-win all around. Um, so I've been really passionate about like developing artists and trying to help independent artists as much as I can get themselves on a firm foundation. I'm not anti-label, I'm just more be a self-starter and you can get yourself to a really good spot on your own before you have to escalate to any additional strategic partners.
0: Yeah, so so then I, lo- I love everything you're saying there and, you know, just being self-starter and really building your foundation. But I was wondering, like, so what, what are some examples of things you would tell an artist like, okay, now that you've done this, this is what your next step is? Like, what What would you suggest to people?
1: Well, one is it depends, it depends on where you're at because that's, that's so subjective for everybody. You know, if, if you're an artist that already has a bit of a following, then I would say, okay, like, here's, some, here, here's how we're going to do some of the release ideas. And so when I'm hired on as a producer, I will, I won't go into any marketing until the song is, like, firm because I don't like having marketing dictate the song. I want the song to dictate the marketing. It all comes back to, first, we got to make sure the song is wicked. I don't, because if you don't have a good song, you can't mark, you can't, there's not enough money in this world to market a piece of shit. So let's make sure that's great. Once that's great, then depending on where you're at as an artist, here are a variety of tactics that cost you no money that you just have to do. And a lot of it's just ground hustle work, talking to your fans, getting interactive, doing lives, posting more, being consistent. It's, it's, It's all there's no miracle tip. One thing that is cool and one that I did notice is that when you do make something that is empirically good, it does stream well on Spotify. You, you do get more streams, more eyeballs if the, if the artist hustles. So I saw a lot of artists I work with that by giving them like a grade A mix that could compete on playlists, we saw a ton of streams because when they would listen to them versus a big label, big label artist, you know there was no discrepancy and music fans they're weirdly intelligent they're like they don't understand audio but at the same time they do and when they hear a a professional sounding master versus a non-professional sounding master they know the difference and so i'm always trying to give every artist that that's independent like the like the most heads up chance i can get because the best part is is that you know When I was in my band and and when you were in your band, you know, we would have to convince people to buy something on iTunes. And nobody wants to spend a dollar on anything they don't give a shit about. Nobody cares. But with Spotify and Apple Music and all these streaming platforms now, that 1099 is coming off the Visa anyway. So they're spending that money. So now what you have to do is just get them to give you 31 seconds. You just want them to give you that 31 seconds and hopefully they like it enough to save it to their own playlist. And that's a much easier thing to do than convince somebody to spend a dollar. And so now when you apply your ground hustle and if you're a if you're a, a self-starter and a person that likes to really like put the ball in your own court and just fucking go for it, then yeah, this is the best time in the world to be an artist because now you can go distribute globally and... You know, you can market to anywhere in the world because of Facebook ads and Instagram ads. You can reach fans in all corners of the earth. And for any influencer, the rule is you want a thousand people to give you a hundred dollars a year. That's like the minimum benchmark you want to really like go for. You're telling me now in the scope of global, we can't find a thousand people that think you as an artist are awesome. Yeah, that's like, a lot that's like eight billion people in the world. Like <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty achievable, right? Like when you think about how many people have access to the internet, you can find those people. So now it's like it's much less daunting when you think of it that way. It's like, wow, like wait a second, I just gotta find, you know, a thousand people that think I'm the shit in the vastness that is our world. Sweet. And I think that really comes down to,
0: you know, understanding your audience and and the kind of music you're making it for. But then it kind of it kind of contradicts like you were talking about, you don't, you don't like songs that have marketing before the song, you know, but I think you need to have that there, there's a little bit of that, right? Because you need to know your market, you need to know kind of like what what you stand for and what your values are and
1: what how you want to present yourself, right? Totally. But that's but that's brand. So that's that's so I would say that's the difference between brand and marketing. So your brand is 100% exactly what you said. And that is that is who you are as an artist. And that forms where you come from from a song perspective. What I don't like to do is set release dates, pick pick things that are not based on the focusing the song to be great. And a lot of it is more so. I just don't want the focus to be on anything but making the song great. And then once we know this, once we know we've got something great, marketing's easy. Marketing's just money and people and time and hiring the right things like it it, that's a different set of skills but it's 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 much harder to make a great song and i think
0: it's also just like
1: you have to sometimes remove yourself
0: from the equation and think about like the people who are listening to you and who are fans of you like what do they want to see right like people love seeing an artist that's connecting with their fans like they want they want to meet people they want to like they want to feel like they're they're known you know and so it's like how do you you create those experiences with people and if you think about it that way the marketing becomes easy because you're just doing it for fun you're just doing it to like socialize and hang out and have a good time and like meet new friends and and if you think about it that way
1: marketing becomes way easy oh absolutely absolutely and that's and and the artists that do that well are the ones that win right now look at russ i i say russ is the G of all G's when it comes to this, like this guy, like he is the blueprint for just how to have zero excuses and make it happen. And if, if you're an artist, I highly recommend, like, just look at what Russ did and from the beginning and follow his journey. And he's got it pretty documented and he talks about it because he went from, he did everything himself and just made it happen no excuses was consistent went direct to the fans built a loyal following sold tickets and like now he's one of the few rappers that like can tour anywhere like that guy sells out shows in like the most random parts of the world and you're like man this guy sells tickets everywhere it's because he he just went direct to fan made a ton of great content was just like obsessive about making great stuff and just delivered and never let his fans down and just continues to deliver And so they can count on him and now they, and, and like he's winning, you know, he's like, I, I don't know what his bank account looks like, but I can guarantee he's, he's doing a lot better than other artists that may be more socially relevant because of how he set up his business and how he did so much of it himself and built that direct relationship the right way.
0: Yeah, all the best people that I know, like local artists that I know that are that are doing really well. It's because they've always connected with people, and they they make a great yeah. product. And and yeah, and you even look at like someone like a Taylor Swift or something like that. Someone who seems so unobtainable, you know, like it's like such a massive level. But like she's still having people at her house to listen to her record when it comes 100%, out. Hundred percent. Right? Like
1: she knows she knows exactly. You know, she sings at people's weddings. Like you know, like she's she's sung at a couple. She I think she's done like some weird pop ups where it's like she'll just show up at someone's wedding and you're like, what? Yeah. But like. Brilliant, she's awesome. I like all the respect in the world for that. You know what I mean? If you're a fan of her and you see those things, you're like, you wanna follow that person, That that's a leader. And, you, and we, we all want to follow, like I think subconsciously too, it's part of like our innate biology. Like we wanna follow strong people that show us the way. And this isn't a new thing
0: either, right? Like, it's not just like, no. this isn't a new digital era kind of thing. It's it's always been that way. And, and I think about, we were talking about weddings, like, this past weekend, I was reminded of the fact that my sister, when she got married a couple a couple years ago, my sister is, like, not a music person. And my whole family's not a music family. Like, not at all, right? My mom knows nothing about how the business works or anything. But um, when my sister got married years ago... My sister was a big Michael Bolton fan. <laughs> oh, and, sweet! And and my mom, like, totally naive to everything. Like, knows I'm in the industry, but doesn't like consult with me about how does this work, whatever. She writes Michael Bolton's management somehow and is like, "How do I get him to play my daughter's wedding?" And and like, and he's not gonna play it, right? But <laughs> they're like, "Oh yeah, he's set some like tour date. You know, he yeah, he can't he can't make it." But then like. Four months after her wedding, my sister like looks in her mailbox, and all of a sudden she's got this package from Michael Bolton, like he like literally like sent her a like signed autographed like like photo, being like no way. To Laura and Jeff. Sorry, I couldn't make your wedding day. Like best of luck. And it's like that's fucking awesome. Like that's awesome. Like what and like what a G move. Yeah, and like now
1: she's a fan for life. You know what I mean? Like 100 percent. Oh, that's the best. And like now she's got a great story. Yeah,
0: and, and I think about that. It's like. Even, even a guy like that is still
1: doing it. You know, it's like Like now I, now I want to go listen to Michael Bolton. Yeah. (laughs) Because of you telling me that I'm like, yo, this guy's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like a lot of artists, there's no excuses now, you know, because of the tools available because of the internet, it's a beautiful time. There's no excuse. If you've got it, there is Nothing in your way from making it, putting it out there and letting the world see. And if you're not doing that, you're just making excuses. Dude, I think that's a
0: perfect spot to end. That was perfect. (laughs) So for people who might want to learn a little bit more about you or follow you online, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, best way is uh, my Instagram at Gabe Gallucci. It's G-A-L-L-U-C-C-I, two L's, two C's. And uh, yeah, follow me there. That's where I drop the most of my my stuff and uh, any music I'm working on. Perfect.
0: And then uh, speaking of that, any cool projects that you're working on right now that
1: you can talk about, that you're pumped about? I mixed a Christmas song that I'm pretty pumped about that's coming out in a couple of weeks. weeks nice. for a, a pretty big artist. So I'm excited about that. I just, uh, Jason Benoit's EP just came out uh, and I produced and mixed that. And so that, I'm really excited because I got to work on his first single that he did. This is back in 2015. So I did his first single. Um, I just pr- produced a vocal on that, but that was his first top 10 as well. So he and I have kind of like, we, we kind of both had our first big songs together. So it was exciting to kind of go full circle with him. So uh, I did, yeah, I did five of the six songs on his EP. And then I got some cool stuff that I'm now going to start working on post this studio because I'm going to travel a bit and pop around and go visit artists in kind of their environment. Um, and so I'm excited to kind of get out of Toronto for a little bit and just kind of uh, visit artists in, in their spot.
0: Awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much for being on here. oh all the stuff we talked about, man. Like, I remember seeing you at Imsta talking, and I was just like, my head was like bobbing yes the whole time. And it's like I feel the same way here today, man.
1: No, thanks for having me on. Again, like it's so important to, you know, that you've done a medium like this. Like when I started out, like, you know, your website and these kind of podcasts were so like foundational to uh me starting out. So it's I'm super pumped to be on here and thanks for doing what you do, man. This is uh this is necessary.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thank you. Cheers, bro. So there you have it. That was my interview with Gabe Galucci and again, like everything he said, I was just my head was just bobbing the whole time. Uh, he's he's a super smart guy. I love his outlook on just the industry as a whole and how we can work smarter and more efficiently in the studio while maximizing work-life balance and uh I thought that everything he had to say about the artist development side was very, very interesting as well. And I think that, you know, if more people start to do that with their artists and really encourage them to go beyond the studio and and help them with their marketing, it makes you seem like you have so much more value to the artist than just being the producer, you know, because once they're out of the studio, the record's in their hand, right? Whereas if you could at least be someone who helps them and can connect them with people or give them ideas on how to promote their record and you're involved, that prolongs the relationship and just keeps them coming back to you because you're not just the engineer, you're a partner in their business. And I think everything Gabe said there just makes a lot of sense. And I can totally see why artists keep coming back to him. I would love for all of you listening to this to apply that same idea and just start helping your artists more, get more music out there and everyone will see more success as a result of it. So I hope that you really enjoyed that episode. And if you did, make sure to leave a review on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, if this is your first time listening to the Master Your Mix podcast, make sure to check out the website, MasterYourMix.com. And as always, I've got a free download that I'm offering right now that is called The Ultimate Mixing Blueprint. It is a guide to using EQ and compression in your mixes and walks you through how to do that with all sorts of instruments so that you can get results faster. And it kind of ties into what Gabe was saying about working more efficiently, right? Having a guide like this definitely helps you to just quickly identify the problematic areas that you need to pay attention to so that you can get the sounds much faster. So make sure to check that out, MasterYourMix.com. That's it for this episode. I'm off to go on a cruise and I will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Talk soon, take care. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.